Greetings, Trinitarians. This podcast is possible partly because of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary in Evansville, Indiana. If you're interested in beginning your theological academic journey at Trinity, contact us at trinitysem, that's trinitysem.edu today. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is... Jonathan Pritchett. And today... We're talking about general revelation and how it relates to the field of counseling. And apologetics. Stick with us. We got Dr. Braxton Hunter, pretty talented and well-known apologist, shared the stage with the William Lane Craigs to the Mike Laconas to all those guys. Jonathan Pritchett, Dr. Pritchett is here, and he is a New Testament guy, does a lot of stuff, a lot of podcasts, a lot of debates, so on and so forth. You can go out of this room tonight and be a Christian apologist. Now, it may not be that you're able to give the answers, but you know, you can be immediately when we're done here tonight, you can be an answer finder for people. We need to stand up and tell men and, and more and more women, God is smarter than you. And there are consequences for all of these actions. So why don't you stop for a moment and think you don't know what's best for you compared to what God knows is best for you. All right, so we are going to talk about general revelation. We're going to talk about counseling and uh, the uh, differences between biblical counseling and Christian counseling, which is more integrationist. We're going to talk about presuppositionalism versus classical and evidential and other forms of stuff. I think all that kind of ties in together because I've been listening to one of our professors, uh, Steve Gregg. Dr. Steve Gregg. Dr. Steve Gregg. Um, and of course, we had Dr. Chatham, another one of our, who's actually, you know, a professional counselor, and and he teaches our <coughs> biblical counseling. And um, Dr. Washington and Dr. Buckwagler are in our counseling, Christian counseling. And so I figured, after what four and a half, almost five years of um, working for Braxton here at Trinity, I, I realized that. Uh, a good portion of our school is actually involved in counseling, so it might be uh, wise to learn something about it. So, so we're going to talk about it. So I'm trying to learn something about it. And it's difficult to do a show like this, honestly, because you, the listener slash viewer, should know that Jonathan Pritchett and myself, neither one of us know that much. Right. And unfortunately, I know how it sounds, especially to those in our counseling programs. We haven't really cared as much <laughs> right. as we should about counseling. Now, that's not to say that we haven't engaged in counseling, yeah. because um, no, I haven't. Doctor Bridget pastored a church for a time. Yeah, and did you do some counseling? Then? <laughs> no, um, I did. Um, I I counseled people. Come on, and, people know better than to ask me about that. Well, <laughs> well, I counseled, and I and I didn't hurt anything. I don't think. I mean, okay, look, <laughs> that's one, one of the couples, to... one of the mar- one of the couples that I counseled are divorced. Now, I, so you know, but is that on you? You I can't mean, win is that all. on the counselor? That's not necessarily, question. but a good counselor might have done better than I did. But I, I, I think in this case, the person that was I was counseling with was looking for an excuse to get a divorce. So blaming and you, I think blaming any, the counselor. I was... think any, yeah, any, any, no matter what I'd said, there would have been. So anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, all I'd say, I have done some counseling. I've had some counseling courses. The last time I took a counseling course was as recent as a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And in taking that course, I read the entire, it's a big, thick, like 500-page Christian Counselors of America, their handbook or something. 
really big book, read every single word, actually read it. No audio books, nothing, read that thing. And yeah. so, um, so I, I have a little knowledge about it. The problem is, it, because I didn't care enough about it, and because I don't have anyone to talk <laughs> to right. about it, that information has mostly already Well, like solved. I said, I've decided to wake up and care about uh, a large portion of the seminary that, you know, we are overseeing here. Yeah. So, so it might be a good idea to learn something. And going into it, I am always was predisposed to agree with the Christian counselors, because I was like... All I knew about counseling was, well, biblical counselors use just the Bible to counsel people, which, mm-hmm. okay, my mom does that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and the, yes, I know that's a caricature. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, but but Christian counselors do real counseling, like, you mm-hmm. know, licensed professional in the, in the marketplace, having people sitting on their sofas doing, and they integrate uh, things from secular psychology, so yes. to speak. They rely to some degree on the findings and innovations, uh, both medically and in terms of techniques, that have developed over the past, you know, couple hundred years or whatever, yeah. hundred years. And so whatever they feel or think is not in conflict with Scripture, they can incorporate that into their practice. Yeah. And by the way... Now, those you, are very the, the, bad the, stereotypes of both, but yeah. there's a reason for this. Putting it reductionistically so you can get it out there. But, but before you go on, let me just say that there are a number of you right now, if you've even made it this far, who are thinking, do I really want to listen to this right now? I don't think I do. I yeah, think, you're probably you know, right. I'm going to so probably just... go... I feel like maybe just another three hours of Leighton Flowers would be better, <laughs> or um, maybe the Bible Bro Down, or you know, uh, maybe I'll... James White, you know, I need to get my blood or pressure Or you up. can check out the Urban Christian Institute. No, no, no. The, by... No, no, no. Don't help them. The point is, <laughs> this is Jackson. what they're thinking of doing. Yeah. Yes, Matthew Jackson, the Urban Christian Apologist, is that right? Urban Christian Institute. Urban Christian Institute. Yeah. But the thing, but but no, don't help them because even though those are all fantastic podcasts, the fact is, we're going to include some theology in this because what you some of you feel about this subject we resonate with, and yes. so we're going to include enough of the stuff that you and we like to discuss to hopefully make it more appealing to those that don't care. But then there are, as we found out with the Dr. Chatham episode, um, there are a certain number of people that they care a heck of a lot about this. I, I think, In our listening audience. Yes. How did that happen? No, what they care about is you not being here. Oh, you think so? No. <laughs> I think they're. I think you're right. I think they're generally... Int- I just wanted to take a cheap shot. Um, but I, I think that they are interested in this. And I didn't think that I would be interested in it, but now I'm really interested in it. Because, again, it reminds me so much of the debates in apologetics between presuppositionalism and other forms of apologetics. Okay, so let's jump right into it. Yeah. Okay, so the bad caricature is that integrationists, or what are sometimes called Christian counselors... They use stuff um, of the devil. They use modern innovations and ideas that may have come from secularism and uh, uh, neuthetic counseling or biblical counseling. They use stuff that just comes from the Bible. Just the Bible. Yeah. Which means they perform their counseling only in Hebrew and Greek. I'm just saying. These are the bad caricatures, though. Right. And so now you kind of know the lay of the land. Yeah. Now it's not as bad as that. For example, one of the one of the things that this caricature provokes is sometimes people who think they're drawn to integrationists will say, 
uh, nuthetic counselors or slash biblical counselors, they will they will tell people who are on uh, anti-depression or anti-anxiety medications to get off of those and just they'll be delivered from Satan, and then you'll be fine and you won't have this depression anymore. Well, that's not necessarily true. For all, some uh, of them it is. For yeah, all of them, no. But yeah, I mean, the, the point is you, you may be a biblical counselor and recognize the difference between the mind uh, and, and whatever spiritual language you want to put on that and uh, the physical body, and right. that the physical body uh, may need to be treated yeah. in addition to uh, the spirit being treated yeah. or whatever. So, so I was squarely in the integrationist camp having given it very little thought other than just the brief descriptions of the two. Mm-hmm. But I listened to Steve Gregg, Dr. Steve Gregg now. Uh, mm-hmm. listened to Dr. Gregg. And, and he has a course on this subject here. Yes, and, and he, he starts off by saying, look, I'm coming to, from a theological perspective, not a counseling. He says, I'm not a counselor, even though I end up doing counseling because people, for some reason, ask me stuff. You know, and mm-hmm. and so that got him into researching it. So you know, he doesn't counsel on a regular basis, but he he lays the theological uh, and biblical foundations for why he affirms that as opposed to the integrationist model. And he mm-hmm. does a really good job. Does I, and it with it, a lot and of it, passion. Yeah, and it got me to thinking that maybe I need to think more about this than how little I did, which was almost never. Um, so. So I, I guess I started into in trying to learn something about a big portion of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. I decided to start with the the thing because we have both an integrationist program. We've got both. That's right. Horror of horrors. We're upsetting everybody. That's right. And we have the biblical counseling mm-hmm. model, mm-hmm. Um, all within the same school. But you know, if you're going to do Christian counseling, so we straddle you the ought to appreciate and, and yeah. understand newthetic counseling. And if you're going to do newthetic counseling, you ought to understand integrationist counseling. They don't want to appreciate and understand. They want to lob grenades. Well, okay, but you can't properly lob those grenades. unless. See, here's the thing. Because we're a non-denominational school, yeah. and we have people of various doctrinal perspectives here. I'm fine with you in a loving and friendly way. Because, see, I don't think... Let me just go off on this for a minute. I don't think it's okay to do what the what my convention, the Southern Baptist Convention, has tried to do for a while, uh, which is to try to pick one of two things when you have a doctrinal confusion. And that is, one, either ignore it and just say, look, we don't talk about that because everybody loves everybody and it's all rainbows. That's one approach. The other approach, both taken in my convention, is to um, is is to be angry and divide and just say this is so awful that we can't be friends anymore. Neither of those necessarily are the case. What you do is you engage in friendly debate as brothers and sisters and debate sometimes even in an intense way, as you and I have done even on this yeah. program. And what better friends can we imagine, right? So what do you do? You can't say, quit. Well, I mean, you if, can't say you can't say that if, we haven't if, had if, intense if, debates. Yes, but you said, "What better friend could I imagine?" And one that buys me lunch more often is one. But. Okay. So anyway, uh, well, hey, now they're buying us lunch occasionally. Well, that's true, but it's, it seems like so they're your best. It seems friends. like yeah, <laughs> like most of our people. But you're not buying me lunch. Most either, of people pal. contact me are like, "Hey, man, if you ever come to so and so, I'll take I'll you out to lunch. lunch." Right? Have I bought you lunch? 
Yes. Have they bought you lunch, those people, when no, you go to so their town? No, so you win. You're okay. The, you're the better friend. Thank you. And just yet another Trinity Radio debate that I have championed. All right, so um, so <laughs> well, let's move on. Okay. You should be able to have those kind of debates, like the one you just saw. Right. In a friendly and loving way without ripping each other's throats out. And you see how much more he wants to be my friend than the other way around. Right. right. So the, the thing is, when you have integrationists and... Uh, uh, you know, biblical counselors in the same school. Yeah, we're fine with the biblical counselors in a loving and friendly way lobbing these grenades or engaging in this debate, and the other way around. We're happy for it because we think it makes us better. Because you 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 learn from each other, you you sharpen each other, and so um, I think it's cool that we have both in our school that way. I do too, and but the only thing is, is you know when you when you're looking off into that, and you're like, okay, well, you know, as vice president of academic affairs, I have to oversee both of these, <clears throat> which means I'm. It's the if you want to know which school at Trinity I have the least involvement in, it's that one, mm-hmm. and and I don't need to. Uh, our faculty there runs a tight ship, and whatever they want to do, I just yeah, absolutely. If it's well, unless know. it's crazy, yeah, but they're not crazy, yeah. But even if they were, that's part of the problem, though. If they were crazy, I still wouldn't understand what they said. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's kind of so I decided. But I'm going to start with the big conflict between the two because number one, I like conflict. All right, so break it um, down. So for me, I started off squarely in the, um, like I said, in the integration thing because it just seems reasonable to me that if you come to the perspective of just the cosmos in general, you've got you've got things that are true that you find in nature. You know, you have things that are true that you can find through reason, mm-hmm. right? And I've always felt that way. Yeah. Now, it's now everything's got to be, if you're a Christian, everything's got to be filtered through a biblical lens. Everything's got to, if, if it doesn't comport to Scripture, um, it's not true. Right, but if it doesn't up. conflict with Scripture, but Scripture doesn't address it, right. it doesn't mean it's false. It means, you know, that's God's truth that you can so find revealed in nature. if an atheist, or let's just go hardcore, if a Satanist, who is a medical doctor, came up with a, uh, a vaccine for some horrible illness, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be wrong for you to take that vaccine. In fact, if that vaccine represents truth... In other words, something heal that, you, that yeah. heals something yeah. that has a practical, objective value, then that still is valuable despite who came up with it or discovered it. Yeah. Right? That's And so you're saying, and I would say, so if you find a technique that is not opposed to Scripture or um, even a medicine that is not opposed yeah. to Scripture. Or you find, or you find <laughs> something that's true that's not opposed to, yeah. you know, like mathematics. It's still God, that's that's God's property. Ma- right. Yeah, because all truth right. is God's truth. Right. Right. Of course, Jay Adams did write. Uh, I don't know. To counsel. Well, yeah, but he wrote. Um, I don't know. It's like it's longer than an essay, shorter than a book. It's like sixty some odd pages. He wrote, "Is all truth God's truth?" Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Well, you and I don't that right now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, his point was not to disagree with that, but his point was to to say that not all things that people think are true. Mm-hmm. Are necessarily true and sure, worthy of, but that's um, a different question, isn't it? Well, but I mean, like I said, that was also reduction. His, I, his, his from what I gathered, mm-hmm. and I haven't read the whole thing, but mm-hmm. from what I gathered by looking at the fact that he wrote something with that provocative title, he probably said more than that. Yeah, but it seems like from from his perspective, though, um, well, 
I don't guess I've read enough of it. But, <laughs> but, it, but it seems like he was trying that's to... that's the kind of information you get at Sydney right. Radio. Well, but it seemed like when I was looking at this, because he wrote that the is all truth, God's truth. And when, when I was looking at what he was trying to aim at, it seemed like he was... He was trying to somewhat undermine the idea of how the phrase is used insofar as... Well, okay. Yeah. For example, here's an example of... Let me. I have no idea what Jay Adams was talking about. But if I was to take issue with my own comments, yeah. here's how I could argue against the phrase, all truth is God's truth. But it would involve a... Complete, See how little we know about this? <laughs> but it would involve me messing up logically and conflating two terms or yeah. two ideas. So I could say, okay... Um, if you can, if someone is plagued by guilt, yeah, you can fix that in a couple of ways. Fix with air quotations for you audio listeners. We know that the most um, godly among us watch mm-hmm. Trinity Radio by video. Yeah, but um, but it, you, we we can fix you in a couple of ways if you're experiencing horrendous guilt. We can either let you be confronted with the truth of the Bible, your nature as a sinner, uh, repent, and perhaps make amends with another person and resolve that guilt that way, although sharing that with you in a loving and, and, and compassionate way. Or we can pop you full of drugs so that you feel better about your guilt without doing a darn thing about it. In both <laughs> cases, you're going to feel better. So is that true? Is there a truth there that the medication will make you feel better? Yeah, but we might not say that's God's truth. Now, you see, that that is to conflate two different way, two different meanings of the phrase, God's is God's truth, is all truth God's truth. Yeah. It is still the, the the point of is God is uh, all truth is God's truth. The point of that statement is to say, if something is true, it is true because it's objective and found in the nature of God. God is the basis for uh, uh, truth statements, right? Yeah, and basically, I, I'm looking here. Uh, it's it's a little monograph, 56 pages, and uh, it it seems like his his purpose is the way that that's used to justify lots of things. Um, okay. Well, that, let's that not try to, let's not try to read the article here. Well, I'm not going to, I just, I, I thought of it because you mentioned the title Yeah. and then I, I, I looked at it briefly. And, and then you like, regretted bringing the subject up. No, I don't mind telling people <laughs> what I don't know. Let me, let me also say this. Apparently Jay Adams has done a lot of good and has said a lot of incredible things within the sphere of biblical counseling. You know what I first heard? But there are things that we really have issues with Jay Adams about. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the title was provocative because I recall the title. Mm-hmm. That's that's how much I knew about it, and I read mm-hmm. it in abstract, and I couldn't even remember that. But yeah. I don't. I've already told people I don't know anything about this. But but the the interesting thing about Jay Adams is, you know, the first time I ever heard of him when I told you what he said about Calvinism, right? In a debate, I heard it in. Oh, a you debate. heard me say it in a debate. In before. a debate on page ninety three <laughs> or ninety five of my it's copy, page ninety four of my copy yeah. of Competent to Counsel, Jay yeah. Adams says. Um, says you should never tell tell an unsaved counselee that Christ died for him. Only Christ knows the elect for whom he died. Right. Now, that's I brought that up to Dr. Foray, who used to be the head of our counseling department, and he's a Presbyterian and a Calvinist. And I said, what do you think about that? And he said, well, I just, that's Calvinism, man. But I was like, but to me, it was just so, you know, because a lot of the people who we encounter who, who are Calvinists, would never outright say something that bold like that. Yeah. So to my ears, it was like nails on a chalkboard. It was like, don't tell someone that Jesus died right. for them. Because if you're, if you're a biblical counselor, who is your counselee? A, probably a Christian in your church. Well, it begs the question. 
I mean, they might not be. Yeah. So here's the takeaway from that. Jay Adams doesn't believe that you can know if anybody's saved. <laughs> Including Jay Jay Adams may be lost. That's a joke. I'm not saying he's going to hell. But the the thing is, could be though. We don't know. You don't ever (laughs) tell somebody. Tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) But this is not a show about Calvinism. But I will say this. uh, I, I will say what we normally hear from Calvinists is, yeah, because we don't know. Right. You can. Either they'll say you can say that to anyone because it because yeah. for all you know it's true, yeah. or they'll just say you don't say to anyone. Probably what he would say, which is just phrase it differently. Jesus, Jesus died, died for, for sinners. sinners. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but but, but it's like Jay Adams is like, let's just be clear about this. Yeah, you don't know, so don't say it. That's right, and which is why I have no idea if he's saved. So, <laughs> but. On a technicality <laughs> of his own words. By his standard. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, he said, never tell an unsaved counselee that Christ died for them. Oh, is that what he said? Yeah, you'd never tell an unsaved counselee that Christ died for them. Oh, I them. thought he said, never tell a counselee. Only Christ knows the elect for whom he died. Yeah. Although the second half of that sentence, only Christ knows the elect for whom he died, still, still takes could. care of it. Right. Because I don't know if you're the elect for whom Christ died. See, I don't remember Just you saying you're telling me that. Un- don't I mean, say what about an unsaved... Here, I don't remember you saying yeah, the You should unsaved. never tell an unsaved counselee that Christ unsaved. died Is that part of the quote? Yeah, and, okay. and it could be that I've repeated the quote so many times that it has morphed a little bit, but trust me, I'm not getting this wrong. The meaning is totally there. That's exactly what he's trying to say. Now, um... <clears throat> well, how would you know there, good, too? Is here's a good Christ example. The elect? Here's a good example. What's the guy's name? Is it Derek Webb? That was the caveman's call guy. We've been hearing about it online here. This caveman's call guy who, who was a Christian musical artist yeah. in the 90s and 2000s, and he has got a new album coming out, and he says that he's an atheist now. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's been a little bit of a buzz with some of the people in our group because a lot of them were listening to music in the 90s. And so uh, Derek Webb was a Calvinist. Now, the, the point is... Uh, and I guess he's still a Calvinist with, with respect to how he views Scripture. Um, so, so the thing, the question is. So what you're saying is, I'm an atheist. I don't believe any of this is true. But if it was but, true, Calvinism's right. Right. My theological yeah. understanding of the Bible is consistent with Calvinism. Right. And apparently, a lot of his lyrics. I never listened to Caveman's Call, but apparently, a lot of their lyrics are Calvinistic. And I've stuff. never heard of. But this. the point is, you have about. people like that who fall away. And if you're a Calvinist, the way you frame that up, right, is to say. Well, they never were saved to begin with, but they thought they were. I don't have any question Derek Webb thought he was saved right. and thought he was one of the elect, although he writes in his lyrics about being torn That's not just that. a Calvinist thing. You Southern Baptists say that stuff, even traditionally. Well, yeah, but the point is we're talking about Jay Adams, who's a Calvinist. Yeah. And my response is, so what Jay Adams would say is, I would imagine, what Calvinists would say is, yeah, he thought he was one of the elect, and then it turns out he wasn't. Now, if you're a Calvinist then... That could be you. That yeah. could be Jay Adams. Right. We wouldn't expect that, but it could be. So from that pers- so the point I'm trying to make about this is to salvage your statement is <laughs> to fix uh, <laughs> you. You're trying to see now is, you're trying to is is uh, you should never tell an unsaved counselee that Christ died for them. Only Christ knows the elect for whom he died. So Jay Adams doesn't really know if he's elect until he dies. He di- until he it perseveres to the end. Yeah. I, I don't think a Cal... Now, I'm going to have Calvinists get mad at me over that. They shouldn't. And, and as a Southern Baptist uh, who believes in eternal security, I shouldn't be upset yeah. if someone says that. 
that you really, you know, there, there, it could be. So, so the point is, you're still right because of the second <laughs> sentence, second yeah. half of the sentence. Yes. Only if Christ gonna, knows the elect for him right. to die. And interestingly enough, I know you said you didn't want to talk about Calvinism, and it, but biblical counseling. Did you smuggle it in? Is this how this happened? Absolutely. You thought if I say well, let's do counseling, Miguel Jay still Adams, hasn't posted a video, Jay, so he hasn't coming. And Chris Date. <laughs> Just because I want to buck Chris Tate, so. Jay Adams is going to come up, and then I can capitalize on that and turn the whole thing into Calvinism. That's right. Now, now, now here's the interesting thing, though. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, biblical counselors are, by and large, reformed in Calvinism, mm-hmm. right? Except for Steve Gregg. Except for Steve Gregg, <laughs> which is exactly what I was getting to. But I heard the case against integrationism from somebody who debates and clobbers Calvinists. Mm-hmm. Steve Gregg. He does. Sorry, guys. Um, so, yeah, it, not everything cuts as neatly as you like, but generally speaking, it does cut like yeah. that. And every now and then with the apologetic strategy, since you're wanting to talk about all those at the same time, right. you get an R.C. Sproul, who's a classical apologist. Right. Or you get but, Dylan but, Simmons, who's a presuppositionalist, right. even though he's not a Calvinist. Right. And then you have... Uh, See, this is, where I don't, this is what I don't like about our show. I'm just going to tell you. This is what I don't like about our show, is... Because we talk about this stuff together so often mm-hmm. off camera and without the mics, when we get in here, we start using all these terms and we don't ever unpack them. And we switch around like from newthetic counseling to presuppositionalism. And I can imagine listeners, because we have just saved listeners who don't know anything. Right. And, and they're, they're like, listening and they're like, what the heck are they talking about? And all they're thinking is, this is the only reason they're still listening, is they're thinking, Okay, maybe, just maybe, if I continue to listen, I'll get some of this by osmosis. Yeah. But really, the reason I'm listening is because I know that at some point, these words that I don't understand are going to arrange themselves in such a way that Pritchett's going to get mad and knock something off the desk, and I do want to see that. <laughs> so I just stay with it. Right. All right, so let's... let's um, okay, educate. I'll do it. I'll yes. do it. Okay, so we've explained sort of what Newthetic slash biblical counseling versus just the Bible. integrationism and Christian counseling. Is the Bible and Freud. No, right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, okay, we're doing caricatures here. Yeah. Okay, so that's that. Who what hated the Bible, by the way. What he's saying, and, and what we're saying is, Calvinism is is more usually the biblical Newthetic. Yeah. Um, and, and non-Calvinist positions are usually more this, Christian and integrationist. Yes. Though there is, it's not always clean that way. Right. In the same way, yeah. with Christian apologetics, um, it is often the case that non-Calvinists are classical or evidential apologists who will use arguments to show that God exists and that Jesus rose from the dead, starting from where we agree with the skeptic, things yeah. we agree about, and reasoning up to God exists or Jesus rose from the dead. Um, whereas Calvinists are often, though not always, what we call presuppositionalists, yes. who presuppose that the Bible is true and God exists and that you need all that for your reasoning faculties, and, and, and then they argue thusly. And so what we're saying is it's interesting how your doctrinal perspective on soteriology, uh, whether Calvinist or whatever non-Calvinist position, ripples out in its effect to your view of apologetics, to your view of counseling, right. and probably several other things, too. Yeah. Now, here's, here's the thing with the counseling. What the biblical counselor is going to argue is that, okay, if you're having trouble in your life, depression, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, any problem you have, and this is going to... 
you either have a medical problem, which you need a doctor to treat a medical issue, you know, like mm-hmm. a broken arm is a medical issue, right? Yeah. But if you're having if you're having relationship issues or whatever, addiction issues or parenting issues or marriage problems, whatever, that is a not a physical problem or or you know a medical problem that is a spiritual problem mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. however they're using that i don't know what that you know i've lost sounds oprah-ish but you know whatever they mean by spiritual you know yeah. i don't they they would say that mm-hmm. and they say that can be treated with the bible right and doctrine and theology yeah. and if 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 you're not having a head injury mm-hmm. Well, That's, which is a medical issue, yeah. then you don't need a medical doctor. Well, you need okay. a counselor to counsel you with the Bible. But part of the reason someone might struggle with this, and even you were pausing to make sure you're phrasing everything right, right. is because there are a lot of different people... I'm phrasing the, it all wrong because I don't know anything No, there are a lot it, of people <laughs> in the biblical counseling discussion, and they stand not in exactly the same place on this, right? right. Um, so, So some would say that. Some would say, well, not just a head injury, but there can be a chemical imbalance in your physical body, and so it's not just a spirit. But what they would say is, at the root of everything is a spiritual problem. Yes. Even if there are medical issues that do need to be dealt with, still, beneath that, there is a spiritual dilemma. Well, and they're also, they do... And by the way, I'm going to make this simple. Now, you're not going to get this if you're listening by audio, but so that you know whether we're talking about the counseling part of this or the apologetics part, hold on. Mickey is going to be the counselor, okay? Optimus Prime is going to be the apologist. When you see Mickey on the screen, we're talking about counseling. When you see Optimus Prime and not Mickey, we're talking about apologetics, okay? So that's how you know. Right now, we're talking about counseling, Mickey, okay? There we go. Well, leave that close. I mean, I've got him. He's at my disposal. Uh, Okay. Okay. Well, I'll keep him here. All right. So, great. Now my whole world is about no, Mickey. You were <laughs> you were explaining the C three PO Mickey. You were explaining yeah. that that's what they are. You just still de- you're still defining the first half of this show is us defining how biblical counseling yes. approaches problems. The Bible uh, and information in the Bible and the work of the Holy Spirit resolves the problems. Right uh, for most and things. they they do want to say that a lot of what people are passing off as medicine for mental health is bogus. Mm-hmm. They do want to say that. Yeah. So it's not like, well, you, you're right, they, they will acknowledge some of it, mm-hmm. but they, they think, by and large, uh, a lot of this doling out the pills uh, for, oh, you're depressed, take a pill, this or that, mm-hmm. and they're going to say, they're going to push back against that and say, you know what, for, for most of the church history, your job was to just get over it and deal with it, work through it with your pastor. Right. Now, and this is actually where... I kind of agree with the biblical counselors, even though I classically consider myself an integrationist, I actually agree with the biblical counselors on what you just said, which is that what can happen, or what, well, in the history of the church, the counselor for the believer has typically been other believers or the clergy, Mm -hmm. right? Now, um, what has happened now is because we now have this field of study, uh, this counseling and stuff, and you go to a counselor and and all that thing, you don't necessarily go to your 
uh, pastor or some clergy member or some other Christian yeah. to talk about life's problems. You pay someone to handle that problem for you. You get a you get a man for hire or a woman for hire mm-hmm. to listen to you and deal with these things with you. Whereas before it would have been within the church. Yeah. And the good thing about it being within the church is number one, the information that you're getting is drenched in Christian ideas and principles. Yeah. So, for example, I agree with Steve Gregg that one of the big problems that can uh, come from going to, and I hinted at this earlier, uh, going to a secular counselor um, is they may determine, uh, largely one of the things that happens is, okay, you feel bad, and what we're trying to treat here... Now, this is, again, reductionistic, right? Well, that's all we know. You feel bad. You feel bad, and what we're trying to resolve is the fact that you feel bad. Yeah. That should not be the goal. The goal for the believer is not to make you not feel bad. Right. The goal of the believer is to look at why you feel bad, see what the reasons for that are. Yeah. If the reason is you've done something really and you wrong... you should feel bad about we, it. That, that yeah. feeling bad is not a problem to resolve. That feeling bad is a good thing, just like pain yeah. is a good thing because it prevents you from... Uh, keeping your hand on the stove, for example. Right. That's a good thing. So the pain provokes a good action. And then or, to that or, degree... Or it's a sin problem, and it's good that you feel like you need to repent of it because we got down to the issue that your problem right. is... Because that could very well be the it case. It could be. Now, right. on the other hand... Uh, well, so, so, that's, so that's true. And so the, pro- the operation of secular counseling, while they will tell you that you need to get forgiveness or deal with things like that, Oftentimes, it's it's a treatment of your of your symptoms when there is a core issue here yeah. that needs to be resolved. Now, it is true that we now have enough biblical counselors that if we just keep it within biblical counseling, many pastors and church members can recommend you to go to a Christian biblical counselor right. who can then deal with you there. And so to that extent, the problem has been resolved. But that's not everywhere, and not every problem you have necessarily means for you need to go to. And well, one of the like things that. that they would say is, okay, well, psychologists can't prescribe medicine like a psychiatrist can. Mm-hmm. So a Christian psychologist seems to be superfluous and unnecessary anyway, as a discipline. You know, either go to a psychiatrist and get mm-hmm. your meds, or go see a biblical counselor. What, what would you well, say? Well, the to psychologist that? number one can. So now you're asking me to defend the integrationist position here. Well, no, I'm just, well, I mean, you can. I'm just saying what they say. And wh- A psychologist can recommend that you go to, to the person that can give you the... Uh, but a biblical counselor could do that, too, if you have a, sure. medical, if you have a medical problem and sure. not a spiritual problem. Yeah, and if they do that, that's good. So why do we need Christian counselors? Well, we're responding to the type of biblical counseling that says don't do that at the moment. Yeah. But to the extent that realistic biblical counselors do that. As far as that goes, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. But let me respond to something I said just a moment ago because I do think this needs to be said or else people get mad at me. <laughs> the, the as long get, as they're mad at the, you. The feeling fine. guilty part may be like a pain that that is a positive thing in that it points you to the deeper issue that you need to resolve spiritually. At the same time, just as you can get a chronic pain that isn't serving a purpose, it's they, it's it's just it's just a problem, mm-hmm. and and, it, and you don't need to have that pain, and that's why we give painkillers because we recognize that particular pain isn't helping us and it's only hurting. Okay, in the same way, there are people who can live with guilt, and and live even though they've been forgiven, even though they you know they found mercy in Christ, 
they can't they're living with that guilt and it's and it won't go away or the depression won't go away and it really is either a chemical imbalance in their body or a psychological issue of their own making uh, or through their life experience and we do actually need to treat that and that yeah. that is not necessarily a good thing so the point is not that guilt is always a good thing yeah. but it is that we don't dismiss it but i mean for a lot of the things that people will go see counselors for mm-hmm. it's usually relational in nature or something now steve Gregg talks about you know whether it's an addiction or whatever a lot of this stuff he and i guess he's speaking for integration is i don't know but he downplays the idea of i mean if you just have a self-esteem problem that that's a spiritual problem too because number one your identity shouldn't be in self it should be in christ and okay and now this is but, where he says things that really do upset people and if I recall, maybe upset your wife. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> but um, the point that that he was making, uh, that he makes on this, is the Bible does not constantly tell you you should feel good about who you are right. and have self esteem. Right. In fact, the Bible uh, tells you to esteem others as higher than yourselves. Right. So we don't want to get into the worm theology to the degree that you have no value. But the point is, now what I haven't heard Steve Gregg say that is something good to say is, you do have value, but your greatest value is found in your relationship to Christ. Your sense of self-worth. Yeah. Your sense of worth is in Christ. See, I don't remember Misty getting upset about that. It may have been Sarah, actually. I thought about that as I was saying. Misty got upset about some of his complimentarianism. Oh, yeah. uh, And my wife's a complimentarian, by the way. But she still... She thought thought he went too far. Right. Yeah. Um, But, you know. So, So, what else do you want to say about that? Well, okay, so... You were hinting at talking about what we don't like about biblical counseling. Well... For me, everything still boils down to fundamental principles. I haven't, like, like I said, I'm just now weighing into this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fundamentally, I want to say, you know, we can incorporate things that are true that are not necessarily special revelation because the Bible uh, is comprehensive, but it's not exhaustive, mm-hmm. you know. So right. on a fundamental level, I'm like, I, was, I don't see the problem. Mm-hmm. My problem at doing this podcast at this particular point is I just heard Steve Gregg for hours on this issue. Mm-hmm. And it seems like right now all in my head is, <clears throat> number one, it's not needed. Number two, a lot of secular psychology, psychology and psychological methods are founded in things that were very hostile to Christianity and a Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. People who, who have naturalistic presuppositions, who had anti-Christian presuppositions and so on and so forth, and this whole enterprise was created out of that, why do we want any of it? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, well, if it's true, it's helpful. Genetic fallacy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a genetic fallacy there. Right. It doesn't, it ma- again, it doesn't matter what spawned the beginning of this movement. What matters is, are there true things in this movement, innovations that are valuable in this movement that can be helpful? And... Um, you know, if there's a technique for talking to people who have lost a child, yeah. okay, if there's a technique that secular uh, psychology has developed that is that we know, uh, okay, you know, eighty percent of the time or whatever, when we say when we uh, treat it this way, mm-hmm. the person seems to do better. I mean, they'll never get over that, but you know what I'm saying. The, the, they do seem to do better functioning daily now. 
if they go through this process. And then the Christian can then say, hey, you know, that tool you're using there is pretty good, but it's missing something that we can supply, which is the biblical data, the spiritual data, the, 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 the data about man, the theology about man, the theology about God and God's relationship to man, all yeah. those things. We can wrap that around that tool, and now you've got a better tool. Yeah. So this is good. Whatever's bad about it, we get rid of and. And, but we're yeah. still augmenting it with more good, which is we're augmenting right. something that we found useful in the world and putting special revelation. Right. Now, it, let's, now let's, let's make an analogy, and let's okay. drop Mickey now. Okay. We're not doing counseling. We put Prime up there. We're doing apologetics. Okay. All right, so now here's, here's what we're saying. Like, with the, with the Kalam cosmological argument, or no, not the Kalam. It would work with the Kalam, but let's do more to hit the nail on the head. A good teleological argument, a design argument that right. tries to say that the, fi- the universe seems finely tuned for life, uh, and to that extent, that seems like evidence for God, right? Um, okay, what we're doing there is we're taking data that has been collected in the natural sciences. Right. You know, they, they have run the mathematical models that show how unlikely it is, and you'll always hear Christian apologists quoting Stephen Hawking saying that it's like the universe is like there's a panel uh, a mile long with dials on it, and everything seems fine-tuned within a hair's breadth, and if it wasn't that way, the, this is the initial conditions of the universe, the universe would have collapsed in on itself in a hot fireball. You know, you'll hear them say things like that. Okay, well, what are they using? They're using information that they got from Hawking, who got from natural sciences, in order to then say, because of that, we can now formulate a philosophical argument with scientific inferences that shows that that God exists, okay, or gives good reason to believe God exists. So what are they doing? They're saying, you gave us something here that is really good information about the way the world is. You gave us a tool for understanding the nature of reality. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to take that and wrap it in biblical truth and philosophy and say now you got an even better tool. Yeah, but two things. Mm-hmm. One, the Bible doesn't give an argument for God's existence. The Bible presupposes God. Number two, well, the Bible I, is God's word, so why do you think something from science can trump God's word for accomplishing all that God right, intends? Right, so now, like we were talking about neuthetic or biblical counseling, right. we're now talking about, you're talking about presuppositional they know apologetics. That prime's there. Well, but you, you're talking about presuppositional right. apologetics. The presuppositionalist I'm now, I'm now who says, about, number one, you know, w- you know, why, why, why are you putting yourself on the same level as a non-believer? Nobody has neutrality. You're not on even ground. And how dare you sit in judgment over the evidence? It's well, God's evidence. I would say, uh, first of all, is that what we're going to do? We're going to do a show on presuppositional apologetics? Well, first of all, I'll just take what you just directly <laughs> said. You said the Bible presupposes God's existence. Gives no I grant, well, now those are two different claims. The Bible does presuppose well, God's existence. their exist- claims. Okay, I'm going to respond to those. Okay. The Bible does presuppose God's existence. That is true. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Presupposes God. However, is it true to say the Bible presents no argument for God's existence? I think that is patently false. And I'll give you Uh a couple... Oh, we're going to break ground here. I'll give you a couple of examples here. Okay. Okay. Now, it doesn't give you a formal argument with premises that lead to a conclusion. At least it doesn't say that's what it's doing. But take Acts chapter 17, for example. Mm -hmm. What does Paul do? Paul gives them reason... Now, he's not talking to atheists here, and that's important to remember. Not all of apologetics is dealing with atheists, right? Right. Uh, He's dealing to idolaters, Mm -hmm. dealing with idolaters and people who worship pagan gods. And what does he say? He says, he takes, he points to what they already believe about the nature of reality. Oh, look at that. 
He's not. He's he's starting from where they agree and builds up. Right. <laughs> he start, He begins with. I mean, I really do make a point that I think Paul is doing a classical apologetic approach here. Yeah. Seen another way, he's doing what we call a cumulative case approach. But anyway, what he's doing is he starts by taking what they affirm. Look, uh, you guys have an altar to an unknown god, and I'm going to tell you about that god. You all are very religious, he says. You're very mm-hmm. religious. You got all these altars. You're very interested in gods and things. And, and, and you've got one that says an altar to an ungod. I'm going to tell you about that God. And here's his argument. He says, that God, you have to have a God who made everything and, 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 uh, and, and determined the boundaries and habitations of man and all these kind of things. And if he's the God who made everything, he wouldn't need to be served by human hands as though he needs everything. He wouldn't need made stuff because he's the origin of all the made stuff. Right. Right. And most And damning, he can't be made stuff. And most damning, yeah, of all is that point. He's saying, look... Your own pagan poetry says this. What does it say? Oh, talk about starting from where they are. Your own <laughs> pagan poetry says that um, that uh, we are all his children. We come from him, right? Yeah. Okay, not in the sense that they're children of God, some kind of pre-gospel regeneration they've already had. They're his, after all, we know some, most of these people did not believe. The, yeah. the, they're his children in this sense that, they, that our origin is with him. He's the source of life and, and humanity. So what is going on here is he's saying, so why wouldn't you think that if we come from him, that he's not like these little stone and metal idols you're crafting and then worshiping? No, he's, he's more like us, obviously far greater than us, he's a per, but he's a person like us. So we should worship him in that way. Therefore, uh, you have theism, right? And yeah. monotheism. Okay, but then what does he do? Next step. He's like, done with that. Move it aside. Next step in my classical... I'm not saying that Paul was aware of the Zondervan Counterpoints book, Five Views on Apologetics, <laughs> but I'm just saying that, that, that here's what the next thing he does. He goes to the resurrection, and he says, look, God has demonstrated this by providing proof. Now, in apologetics, we always caution people not to say, I have proof, but yeah. to say we have really good evidence. Well, Paul says proof. Yeah. Paul says, I, God gave proof, and the proof was uh, by raising Jesus, Jesus from the dead. Yes. And that's when everybody gets all, they go off the rails. Paul doesn't go off the rails, but they go off the rails. All right, now, what has he done there? Oh, and then he calls them to salvation. He says he calls all men to repent, right? Yes. So the point is... And tells them that God's going to judge the world against them. Right, so you have Jesus, evangelism so. and yeah. apologetics. You yeah. might say you have evangelistic apologetics or something like yeah. that. Um, but the point is... By my book. He argues... He argues for God. Right. Then he argues for the resurrection. That's only one. I've got another one. Another argument for God. Bring it, brother. I'm, I'm, I, I like to pick and choose the best of precepts. Like I've always said, presuppositionalism is not as big of an issue as presuppositionalists. Sorry. Right. Are you familiar with the passage? Presuppositionalism, with... some of it's fine. Are you familiar with the... But most presuppositionalists are obnoxious. I'll you, just say Dr. It. Sorry. Pritchett, you may be unaware, there is a New Testament book that is addressed to the Romans. And mm. this Romans... <laughs> what? Well, if you've ever read the Cotton Patch version, it's addressed to Washington. Okay. <laughs> but it's written to, to the Romans. And You've never uh, read the Cotton Patch version. I'm aware of it, and yeah. I have read portions of it. Yeah. Nobody's read the whole thing. Why would you? But the You know how he translate Meganoito? How? Hell no. That's why I like it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but it's are good, you familiar with a little verse in the first Clarence chapter of Johnson, Romans that says the invisible things of God, his eternal attributes and divine nature are clearly seen through what has been made, mm. so that they, talking about idolaters, are without excuse. 
Yeah, but that's an assertion. That's not an argument. It's an assertion packed with evidential content. How is he? Why is he saying they're without excuse? Boom! Did you hear that? Owned presuppositionalist. He, he's making he's making a statement. He's making an assertion, but he's including in it the evidence. Right? It's like say, it's like saying that I'm making an assertion. Well, it's like everybody knows God exists well, because he's the creator of everything. Well, yeah, but it's also you and know, there's the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Right? Amen. Well, but you know, it's not an argument. But either they do or they don't. Right. Do you believe the verse? It's That's packed with evidential content. Right. That, it's pointing point. to the telos of the universe. Right. Okay. That, I agree with to, you. To that extent, it's no different than me saying in a debate, um, uh, there's evidence that God exists from design and then mm -hmm. giving a design argument. Absolutely. Well, you're just making an assertion. Okay, I made an assertion and then backed it up with evidence. Yes. Paul does this in Romans 120. He's saying, mm -hmm. look, he's saying, look, the fact of the matter is you don't have an excuse for not believing in the one maker God, idolaters, although this does work with atheists and polytheists, is because he's saying, look, there's evidence in the created world. It's, in fact, it's obvious by looking at the created world. And that's that either God true exists. or false. Right. You either believe the... So, so does the Bible argue for God's existence? Naturally. <laughs> <laughs> does it assert it? Yes. Yes. I, I agree. Like I said... Um, I, I if Paul didn't believe in evidence, he would have just said, you're without excuse. Right. Period. For not believing in God. Right. But, but he tells them why he they're He says excuse. more stuff. Right. Yeah. I agree. And this is why I say, and, and I like, you know, we've had conversations before where there are certain parts of, I like certain transcendental arguments, and I like demonstrating the borrowed capital um, from, from a biblical worldview in order to justify things yeah. that are, I, I, I swear the biggest problem with, with, Presuppositionalism is the presuppositionalist apologist. Yeah, if they I, were, if they would settle down and qu get off their fake high horses, more people would actually listen. Well, sure, because I do think that they're right in some of their um, some. They're not all. Someone just said about one of our videos. Wow, that got ugly. I'm wondering what it was. Want to take a guess? No, <laughs> your debate. Oh, really? Someone just said, wow, this one got ugly. Not a lot of brotherly love on the stage. Good job, Prime and Layton. Bam. All right. Um, that was Unashamed for Jesus. That's Twitter still handle. Getting a, still getting stuff from a year-old, mm -hmm. almost a year-old debate. Yeah. Anyway, so where are we now? I'm talking about how presuppositionalists are annoying and they need to but settle the, down and we might But the point is Calvinists are often drawn to presuppositionalism and apologetics put Mickey back up here, and Calvinists are often drawn to Neuthetic Counseling. And Calvinists are often cranky. <laughs> I, well, that's I don't have an action Except figure. For Miguel I don't have an action Dave. figure for that. Right. Except for <laughs> Where's Miguel the Hulk? and Chris Dave. Where's the Hulk? Yeah. I don't have the Hulk. No, I mean, but I do think that's interesting. But I, like I've said plenty of times... But for the same reasons. They're, yes. they're presuppositionalists and Neuthetic Counselors for the same reasons, right? Right. More or less. But the... But the, um, the Neuthetic counselor is going to say, "Is the Bible enough or not?" And if you, you know, it's 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 what all that is is a is a pseudo Bible enough. It's a pseudo pious rhetorical trap. Which, if you've ever paid attention to this show, I have so much uh, disdain for fake piety that I don't care. It's a silly question. The Bible is sufficient for all that the Bible is sufficient for. Is the Bible sufficient? Does the Bi Bible does for the, explaining to you how to create a vaccine for polio? Right. 
It is not. No. It doesn't address that. Right. If God... Now, this is not. there's nothing unholy about that, because if God wanted to give us a vaccine for polio in the Bible... Yeah, polio. He might have called it that. <laughs> a vaccine for polio. Uh, he, he could have done have, that. Right. Yeah, he could have done that. Right. He didn't do that. So, so when someone tries to get you in these platitudal, pseudo-pious rhetorical... Tra- that's it's annoying. Evangelicals fall for it because they don't think, but it's not all of them, but most of them do. Uh, that uh, if, if it wasn't effective, people wouldn't give these sanctimonious platitudes all the time. So the bottom line is, people don't do, be an evangelical. Th- no, I'm just kidding. There are some don't good reasons. There are some things we like yeah. about biblical counseling, and there are some things right. we like about integration. But the chest thumping arguments, like either you believe the Bible's good enough, or you don't believe the Bible's good enough. That kind of stuff is the same kind of chest-thumping bravado okay. nonsense that we hear from presuppositionalists. Yeah. And I'm sorry, when, when, when you grow up, you stop being impressed with what, what preaches good. What, it preaches good. It sounds good. You know, All, Get out of that thinking. Because the, the rational response is, is that what the Bible was intended to do? Okay, but the point you know? is, as we draw this to a close, yes. is... There are things that we think are credible about biblical counseling, and there are things we like about integrationism. There are things if we there is, like, we haven't said much on, about it. Hold on, there except are, in theory, there are things we like about presuppositionalism, uh, and then things we like about we just don't like any presuppositionalism. But, but the point is, Greg with apologetics, what's wrong with you guys? Be with, more like with, Greg. With 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 the with I can't think straight. <laughs> hold on, calm tell down. me one presuppositionalist you like that's working today. Douglas Wilson. Okay. <laughs> you didn't expect me to have an answer. <laughs> I didn't expect you to like him, but okay. There are things I don't like about him, okay? So the people that want to jump all over me for Douglas Wilson, I think he is the only presuppositionalist of the major debaters. I know there are lesser ones because everybody's got a Google Hangout debate now going. But he is the only one of the major debaters I've heard use presuppositionalism that I thought did it with grace and humility. And, and in fact, he's debated Steve Craig. Yeah, but not on this issue. I have one I like. Who? I like Scott Oliphant, but he calls it he calls it covenantal apologetics. Okay. But the point I'm trying but to make is, we apologetics. know what we think about the apologetic side of it. We know what we think about the apologetic side of it. There's optimists. We don't mm-hmm. necessarily know how we feel about in in all its details about neuthetic counseling. Right. I in principle it should it should be fine. But what would you say to the platitude? Just before we go, what would you say to the platitude other than my answer? Which one? Which platitude? The either you think the Bible is good, and here's why they would they well, we say we share that. a brain in a lot of respects. I understand. And what I would say is, I would say the Bible is good enough. Now you need to tell me what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just restating what I said. It's good. That's at, what I said. So we share a brain on yeah, this no, issue. But but what would they say that it says it's not? The reason why they would say that is most people's problems that they seek counseling for boil down to relational issues or sin, you know, all boil down to sin in the fallen world. It's, it's, they're all theological problems, spiritual mm-hmm. problems. I would say to that, I would say, well, first of all, I think that is a caricature of most of them. But I would say to that, you're right. I think there are theological issues that underlie almost, if not everything that we experience in yeah. this world. And to that extent, you give a good you give a good warning that even if we resolve a chemical imbalance or something, it doesn't mean we leave the spiritual issues unaddressed. You're going to say that's unaddressed. a medical problem. Hmm? But the biblical counselor says that's a medical problem. Right. And what I'm saying is, 
if you agree with me that people mm-hmm. experience chemical imbalances and that sometimes the symptoms are, that's what that is, yeah. then what I'm saying to you is you're giving me a good caveat in that underlying everything, mm-hmm. including chemical imbalances, we, there, there may be a spiritual aspect. I'm, I'm not going to say what they say. I'm going to say with most, if not everything, there are underlying spiritual things. Yeah. And the good caveat is once we get the chemical imbalance resolved medically, it doesn't mean we ignore the spiritual things it that might be It could be easier to deal with the yeah, spiritual And I think the biblical it. counselors give us a good caveat there. Although that's now a caricature of the Christian, uh, the integrationist, that he wouldn't say that because I think he probably would say that. Yeah. Well, we're still learning like everyone else. I don't really know anything about counseling. Why do I feel like I don't know that I said anything that controversial here today, but I feel like more than most podcasts, I'm going to get email. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Check out Steve Gregg, The Narrow Path, and he has an entire series maybe on this that you can enjoy and learn from. Uh, also, check out uh, Leighton Flowers at uh, Soteriology 101 and the Bible Bro Down with Matt Chisholm and Billy Wendelin. And also, as always, you need to uh, pick a program, man. <laughs> and you can go through the biblical counseling path or the Christian integrationist path here at Trinity yeah. College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. You can visit us at trinitysem.edu. And if you want, yes, and if you want to learn more, you can even audit classes for people who know infinitely more about the subject on both sides than we do. Right. Right. And uh, also, if you would like to support this program, uh, we have had people saved on this program because of this program, or how God's used this program. See how careful you have to be. Um, we have we have seen amazing things happen. Paul's and not careful. We, we get you know we'll do we'll do an. I've episode. saved people, says Paul. I, I try <laughs> well, to save people. Okay, we'll do an episode. Peter says save yourself. So we'll do an episode that I think and you think was the worst episode we've ever done. What did we talk about last week? A trip to Turkey. Yeah. yeah. I thought that wasn't that great. But then I get email from at least five different people telling me yes. every time I listen to your program, I grow in my Christian walk, and I'm like, what happened? <laughs> right. I didn't know that we were having a so, Thank yes. God. And and yeah. become a patron. Click somewhere up here. Yep. Become a patron right so there. that you can afford for me to buy a monograph that I mentioned that I never read, and I'll actually read it from Jay Adams and find out what it's about. And give a book report for our patrons. And by the way, if you made it this long, I have a reward for you. If you would like more content, click here and keep watching Bible studies. Click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers. So click here.